Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and gather and worship together, to lift up your name and song, to learn from your word. Lord, as we look at your word today, would you uh, open up our eyes to see and our ears to hear? So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're a, we're a society that is always conscious of time, isn't it? We're always conscious. There's a big clock in the back that's ticking away telling me how fast I need to get done. Some of you are looking at your watches and saying, is he done yet? You might talk to your spouse this morning or this afternoon and say, what's our schedule like? What time do we need to get up in the morning? What time is your appointment? When do you need to be at this place? What time do you think you'll get home from work? We always want to know what time it is, don't we? We don't want to be too far away from from a clock because we don't want to lose track of time. This summer I spent two weeks at church camp. And at church camp, there is no time. There really is no time. All you need to know at church camp is if the bell rings, come to the bell. That's all you need to know. And I had kids who were like, Curtis, what time is it? When do we need to be at this place? Just listen to the bell. But I need to know what time. No, you don't. You just need to listen to the bell. And so I couldn't even tell you what day of the week it was. Camp time is relative. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Usually I could kind of tell what time it was in the early part of the week because I got hungry. But by the end of the week, you eat so much food at camp, you're not ever even hungry. And so you just respond to the bell. That's what time it is, is when the bell rings, you show up. But we want to know what time it is. But what if we began to ask ourselves not what time it is, but what am I doing with my time? Because reality check here, our time is running out. The seconds are ticking away. Job 7, 6 says this, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. In Job 9, he says, My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. If you want to see how fleeting time is, there is a website called deathclock.com. It's a little morbid, but you go to deathclock.com and you put in your information and it spits out the day you're going to die. So I put in my personal information the other day, and my personal time of death is Wednesday, December 22nd, 2071, just shy of my 93rd birthday. It said I have, it's less now, of course, because this was the other day when I looked it up, but the other day I have about 1.5 million seconds left to live. Our time is fleeting and ticking away. We talk about time all the time in the songs that we listen to. I did a Google search the other day for songs about time, and it gave the top 40 songs about time. Songs like Time of My Life, Turn Back Time, 
Time is running out, time after time, even songs like Yesterday and Forever Young were obsessed with time. But it still begs the question, what am I doing with my time? And what would happen if we began to live our lives with the end in mind? What would happen if we began to live our lives knowing that our time is running out? Knowing that there is not an endless supply of time, but it is limited. I know I've talked with Ike, our youth minister here at the church, about this. And he has begun to look at his education for the junior and senior high kids with the end in mind. I think about it as well. Ted is going into seventh grade this year. That means I have about 300 weekends left before he graduates. And it gets me wondering, what do I want to do with that time with him? What would happen if we began to think of it and think of life with the end in mind? Doesn't it make sense that we would live that way? Doesn't it make sense that we would live with the end in mind? Otherwise, what is the point where we're born, we go to school, we go on to more school, we get a job, we get married, we have kids, we have grandkids, we retire, we get sick and we die? Is that the it? We need to understand time from God's perspective Theologian Soren Kierkegaard said this, Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forward. Or Pastor Jonathan Edwards said this, he said, Oh God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. You see, the reality is what is truly important in the present is that which will be important 10,000 years from now. What matters most is not the temporal but the eternal. And so today I want to look at a psalm, Psalm 90. It's a psalm that is written by Moses. Some scholars have said that this is the oldest written portion of the Bible that we have. It's written most likely at the end of the 40 years of wandering that the Israelites had in the desert. Remember their time of wandering that they had after they had sent the spies into the promised land and they went in there for 40 days, they came out and they said, we can't do it. They had this lack of faith and God's judgment on them was 40 years to wander around in the wilderness and even more than that, anybody 20 and older would die during those 40 years and not enter into the promised land. And I have to wonder when... Moses wrote this psalm if he was wondering what the point of all of this was, the point of all this time, and the time that he had spent. You know, look at Moses' life. He spent the first 40 years of his life learning to talk like an Egyptian and walk like an Egyptian. I won't do it for you. No, I won't do it for you. But you caught it. That's good. That's good. And then we see that he kills an Egyptian and he flees. A man born into privilege and you have to think, God, what was all this time for? Was it wasted? 
And then the second 40 years of Moses' life, which as you look at it, he might have thought these were the best days of his life as he was a shepherd uh, until God called him back to come in front of Moses to say, let my people go and they move out of Egypt simply then to have the people disobey. And he had to be wondering, God, what's the point of this? And now we're left here at the end of 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And I suspect part of the reason Moses writes this psalm is he's wondering, what is the point of all this, God? Look at these verses. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The eternalness of God. At the beginning there is God, at the end there is God. God is the bookends, but he's also the middle of it all. No matter what we do, God is. And he says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. They've been wandering around for 40 years and have no dwelling place. They had no permanent home. And yet Moses realizes in the midst of this that, God, you are our dwelling place. In the midst of the uncertainty and the temporalness of everything that's going on, you are the permanency, God. You are our dwelling place. God, you are our home. Verse 3 says, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. We all return to dust, our cars, our money, our homes, it doesn't matter. It'll all return to dust someday. Pastor Greg Groeschel, Craig Groeschel talks about when he was doing one of his first sermons that he ever did, he was at the graveside and, and he started to say these lines that are often said, he said, and dust, uh, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. He said his mind went blank, and he just went with it, and he said, I hope this casket doesn't rust. <laughs> but the reality is that will rust and return to dust as well. Moses knew a lot about death. Based upon estimates that scholars have done as they look at the people of Israel, in that 40-year time of wandering around in the wilderness, because anybody 20 and older would have died in the, in the wilderness, it's estimated that 1.2 million people died in the wilderness over those 40 years. Now, if I did my math right, I haven't had a math class since high school, so forgive me, but I, did my, I checked it twice. That means that there were 87 funerals a day. Moses knew about death. The people of Israel knew about death. They knew that the people would return to dust. He says, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like the watch in a night. A thousand years are like three to four hours to God. Man is temporal, but God is eternal. He says in verse 5, Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of night. They are like new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. 
That's our life. It's new in the morning, and by evening, we're just gone. Only a few good hours in between. I happened to turn on this nature show the other day, and they were talking about mayflies. Mayflies. Uh, there are times in the city of La Crosse that there are so many mayflies that they have to get out the snowplow trucks to push them off the bridges. Mayflies. But they were saying a mayfly lives for one day. One day in its adult cycle. It has some other larva, poop, pupa, whatever, I don't know what it is, scientific stuff, but it has one day as an adult. One day. Life is brief, it's quick, it's common, it's like grass. It is futile to try to create something meaningful on our own. The only hope for significance is to interject your time and your life into what God is doing. Anne Lamont says this, A human life is like a single letter in the alphabet. It can be meaningless or it can be a part of the great meaning. You see, our lives, even as brief as they are, can have meaning when we put our lives in the hands of God. When we put our hands in the everlasting to everlasting. Our life, our years, our month, our days, our hours, our minutes, our seconds have meaning in God's hands. But when we try to make life all about ourselves... What usually ends up happening is that we're lonely and alone. See, Moses is setting out to show the eternalness of God and the temporariness of man. And he invites his readers, his listeners, he invites you and me into God's eternal context to find meaning and purpose. And he goes on in the next verses to show why that's so important because of the sin that is in our life. Verse 10, he says this, Our days may come to 70 years, or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Wow, are we depressed yet? I mean, it reminds me a little bit of of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. He's saying we have limited time, and even in our good years, we're going to have trouble and sorrow. See, if we make this life all about us, you'll end up in trouble and sorrow. And so we need to look to the eternal God for what we are to do with our time. And Moses is calling us in at this point. Listen, 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 he's saying. God's everlasting to everlasting. You're just a poof, and you're gone. But listen, listen, listen. I want you to catch this, he says. I want you to see things the way God sees things. I want you to get a bigger picture instead of your finite view of how you look at your life. See, if we could see what God is doing, if we could see how God is working, if we could see how God is active in the world, we would live differently. We would live purposefully. And you've got to realize, again, Moses is telling this to a whole generation who has just spent their last 40 years wandering. And they have to be wondering, what is the point of this God? What do you want us to get out of this? 
You know, a people who's been following a pillar by fire at night and a pillar of cloud at the day, who've been getting manna from heaven, who are about to enter into the promised land, what they think will be their permanent dwelling. And yet Moses says, no, God is our dwelling place. Don't miss what God wants for you. It's important to see this from his perspective, from God's history with his people. Because there's a fear that they might miss it, and there's a fear that we might miss it. So what should we do, Moses? So what should we do? Teach us to number our days. The old NIV used to say, teach us to number our days aright. Huh? What do you mean, teach us to number our days? But we know how to do this. We know how to do this. I bet you I could ask Cindy right now, Cindy, how many days till Madeline goes off to college? <laughs> she has the days numbered. Some of you parents, how many days till your kids go off to school? Some of you are like, I can't wait, they're going back in 30 days. And some of you are like, man, they're already going back in 30 days. Amy can probably tell you how many days she has till she graduates next year. She's numbering the days. Lori, uh, a couple months ago, I don't know where Lori's at, but Lori, a couple months ago, she was numbering the days until Zach's wedding was coming. She knew how to number the days. Some of you, you have a presentation coming up, and you are numbering your days. Chad's looking at the jobs that he has to do, and he's looking at the seasons that are changing, and he is numbering his days and saying, how can I get all these roofs done in this time? He knows how to number his days. Some of you are looking at your checkbook. Do you have those anymore? You're looking at your checkbook, and you're numbering your days till your next payday comes. We know how to number our days. And so Moses says, teach us to number our days aright, to weigh our days, to value our days, to have a sense of urgency about our days, to realize how few of days we may have. What must this have meant to Moses, to those who had been wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness? Teach us to number our days. Why? that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Help us to weigh our days, to value our days, to know the urgency of our days, because our days are finite, so that we may have a heart of wisdom. You see, if you can't number your days aright, you can't live them as God would have you to live them. And He does not want you to waste your life. He wants you to number your days. You see, you can't be wise. You can't make wise decisions if you don't realize that your days are numbered. You see, if you think that you have an infinite amount of time, you're just going to live every day as you want to and not realize the finiteness of your time. But when we number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, when we live with that reality we'll begin to make better decisions with our relationships. We'll begin to make better relationships with, uh, we'll be begin to make better decisions with our money, with our occupation, 
with our education, with our parenting decisions, if you begin to catch this truth, you'll begin to live better with your time. You'll learn to be wise with it. We'll learn to live wise in righteousness and godly deeds. We'll learn to have skill in living in the area of our time. And this is not depressing, actually. God is calling us to embrace this, to embrace a finiteness that we have, that God has given you life and years for a purpose. And he's saying, lean into me. Lean into me with your time. Don't just do what you want with it. He's saying, lean into me that you would gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days aright, God, that we need to lean into him to understand how he wants us to use our time, how we should, you know, relate to other people, what we should do with our life, that our purpose and meaning comes from him, and so we need to lean into him. Because our purpose is not found in us, we're temporal. Our purpose is found in the eternal God. So might our prayer this week be, Lord, teach us to number our days aright, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Let me close with this poem. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would, be, would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me a father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I'll know I'll say, "'Twas worth it all." Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Amen and amen.